This is how we overcome the moving on the kingdom. Reaching to the world's arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice well, welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. And friends, we're glad that you're with us for a series we've just begun a couple of episodes back for the fall uh, that we are calling, uh, ironically, The Unspoken God, taking a look at ways that we connect with God uh, without either the printed or written word. And while certainly we, like other faith traditions, are people of the book and we'll talk about God being revealed in story and scripture and psalms and things like that that are written and spoken, we've also said God's not limited to those things. And yet that feels like traveling somewhere without a roadmap. So, so far we've sort of opened the door broadly and we talked last time about God moments, those moments in your life or times where it feels like you've had a God sighting or felt divine fingerprints on something. Um, but there's more to the conversation there. So where are we going to go today, Erica? Today we're going to be talking about contemplative practices in um, the Christian faith. And basically what that means is or at least for, for myself, a lot of that deals with practices that are surrounded by silence. Um, we want to be talking about the desert fathers and mothers who would would get away in the uh, in the early centuries of Christianity, um, not to get away to escape, but rather mm-hmm. to get away to feel more connected to folks by being in solitude, being in silence, um, and in ways that we continue to do that today in um, in more modern times. Like I. A few months ago, I went on a silent retreat and spent mm-hmm. the better part of three days um, just being with God in, in silence, but in community with other people that were going through that as well. And so how can we incorporate silence into our relationship with God and allow that to be a way God speaks to us? So I want to say that from the get-go, then, we need to stake out a positive case for silence as a positive thing and not just an absence of sound waiting for the next Mm -hmm. thing and that that by itself might be a little bit counterintuitive like in a culture like ours where if there's nothing happening and you're listening to the radio you're like it's dead air what's wrong what's gone wrong with my music player or radio station um and where we are used to constant background noise um maybe we should start what make the case for how how do we make the case for the there being value in silence of of nothing rather than something sometimes at least i go to um is it elijah or elisha is this Um, uh the the still small voice yeah yeah so that's elijah up on elijah yeah Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he's he's up on the mountaintop and he he's kind of having it out with God and he's waiting to hear from God and you know the windstorm comes by and God's not in the windstorm and the fire comes by and, and all these loud big things come by and God's not in any of them. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly he hears a still small voice of God in the silence. Yeah. And and, and I, so those things that usually get our attention, like a burning bush for Moses. Yeah. You know, for Elijah, it's silence and stillness. Yeah. I think if I'm remembering correctly, there are some translations of that story in English that render that phrase as the sound of sheer silence instead of a still small voice. And again, I, I my Hebrew on that is particularly rusty, but like at least there's a case to be made mm-hmm. that it's not even that like 
it's a whispery voice, but somehow God is there in the silence. And the only way that we can convey that is to say a still small voice, but not even an audible voice, but almost like you talked about in our God, God sightings episode, Erica, about the times when you were convinced God was speaking, but it wasn't like an audible voice that others could hear. Um, mm -hmm. And that somehow like that, those kind of experiences. So sometimes it's the the sounds around us are actually the detraction and their distraction, their noise, their their static. That when you turn that volume down, you are able to experience what's real or what's important. That kind of thing. It reminds me. There's there's a, a lyric from the band Switchfoot. This is going to date me a little bit because it goes back a couple of decades. <laughs> but they have a song off their album, uh, "The Economy of uh, Mercy." Uh, Anyway, they have an album, uh, a song called Adding to the Noise. And the recurring refrain goes, if we're adding to the noise, turn off this song. And it, it's uh, kind of bold for a band yeah. to be mm -hmm. saying, if we're just more noise, turn off our song. Um, but I, I've always held on to that refrain, that that idea that instead of just more sound is always better. Sometimes it is better to have silence sometimes. And that that's a positive good to have the quiet. I think it's also a positive to occasionally just stop and listen mm -hmm. like I I know in this time in my life I have a really bad habit of my prayers being more babbling while I'm doing other things so it's just a, like almost a steady stream of consciousness while I'm doing the dishes or driving or you know usually I'm doing something else while I'm just sort of word vomiting at God while all I'm experiencing and feeling and thinking and I think that that's okay like I'm not saying that that's a wrong or a bad way to pray but I think it's also really good for us to just stop and listen mm -hmm. um, I think I don't know if it was one of you or somebody else that I recently reminded me of a quote from Mother Teresa or a conversation it might have been you all I don't know where it came from um, but Dan Rather from like CBS interviewed Mother Teresa and asked her what she said during her prayers and she answered I listen and then so he like asked, well, well, then what does God say? And she just said, he listens. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's just like this really fantastic idea um, that prayer could just be sitting comfortably in silence with God. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. God being the one who fully understands and sees you in your heart of hearts. God knows what you're thinking and feeling and experiencing. So you don't have to use words to share that, those things, because God already knows. Um, and so it's just like this wonderful idea that you could just sit in silence with God, both of you listening together. Mm -hmm. I think about, and I've heard this insight before, and I, I think I've known it to be true in some moments in my life too, that the relationships that are really, really important to a person and often it's spouse or closest friend, or maybe you can get there with grown children, but like when you can be silent with somebody else in the same room and feel like a sense of contentment, not that you have to fill that silence with small talk or um, did you do your homework or that I mean like, and yeah, there's a place for how was your day, that kind of thing, but that there is something really to be savored about those handful of moments or relationships where it somehow feels content and complete just to be silent with the other person in the room. Um, and if, if we get glimpses of that with other people, then yeah, maybe that's about right for what it's like between us and God as well. Um, that there should be moments where it doesn't have to be, here's my laundry list of things you need to know, God, as though God did not already know them. And, um, 
times when it's not even that God needs to give us new directives, like that story with Elijah. God, God doesn't give Elijah so much as a new mission, so much as by the end of it, it's go back to what you're already doing, Elijah, but you needed this moment to mm-hmm. find here you are. Um, so it's less about God giving us new information um, and just being there in the presence of somebody else, or in this case, God. I've heard it said musically, too, that um, there's great importance to good composers in where to use rests and silence in music and that it's not just nonstop notes all the time. Uh, And sometimes even to watch a conductor or a performer craft a silence, which might seem weird to just just stop your bow, you dummy, you know, quit blowing on your flute. Um, But there's something intentional about how a silence is held or how it's approached and how it's entered into and how it's left. And you start playing again, that real musicality happens. So again, if we can get glimpses of that in places like uh, music, whether it's classical, popular, whatever, um, then yeah, I could see a dimension of that in our in our spiritual life as well. You were you mentioned an earlier, Erica, that there's mm-hmm. this is not just us three who've come up with this clever idea of intentional silence, but that we've borrowed on centuries of Christian practice. Are, are there particular practices or or insights from earlier in Christian history that you would call our attention to? So a lot of say in the first, I don't I don't know around is it the five hundreds or maybe even a little bit even into the early thousands. In, in Christian history, there was this whole movement of um, what we call the desert mothers and fathers who went out um, into the wilderness to get away from people, not, as I said before, not to escape being around other people, you know, like the introvert that I am likes to escape people sometimes, but intentionally to go out and spend time alone so that they can, so they can spend time in prayer, spend time with God and better connect with the people back home because their entire focus during that time is just to be spending time with God. They're not distracted by, you know, the politics or whatever's going on in, in the city or town with their neighbors. It's just them and God out in the wilderness. And sometimes people would come and visit them and seek their advice and their wisdom because mm-hmm. they spent so much time alone, just listening mm-hmm. for the voice of God and praying yeah for what was going on in the world around them. Yeah. So there are literally centuries of that kind of tradition. Sometimes mm-hmm. as like individual person, like like a hermit, and sometimes, yeah, literally living in a cave, right? So like yeah. uh, there were people who were solitary hermits, and sometimes you'd have groups who would live in community, often though removed from the rest of the world in wilderness kind of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even that language of calling them the desert fathers and mothers, the idea of it being a deserted place, not necessarily cactuses and sand. It could be, but like more, it, it wasn't the heat that was important, but that sense of being withdrawn in a way, and that it could happen either individually, where it's definitely quieter, uh, or in community where there might be pockets of silence. So it might mm-hmm. be we, and eventually as those centuries progress and Christians develop the practice of hours of prayer, morning prayer, and noon prayer, and evening prayer, that kind of thing, those became times where there might be, we all might sing together or speak together or pray together, and then the rest of the day might be spent in silence and that certainly has developed and continued in different christian branches of the family tree over the centuries as well right oh yeah there's um when i was in seminary in kentucky there was a monastery i went to several times and continue to go back to every time i'm I'm back in kentucky called the abbey of gethsemane and it is a silent monastery 
The brothers live together in silence. And the only time you will hear them speak is during those hours of prayers that you mentioned, Steve, you know, the, the six hours of prayers. And even then they're reciting the Psalms. They're singing a few chants. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, you know, their entire time is spent in silent prayer or work in and around the monastery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that, that continues today in, in, in things, especially in the Roman Catholic tradition. Yeah. Um, but then there, you know, I personally went on a silent retreat um, with a group, mostly of Methodists, but there was a couple others thrown in there too. Um, and it was kind of the same thing. We didn't get together for every hour of prayer, mm-hmm. but we'd, we have, we'd have a morning prayer time and an evening prayer time. And the rest of our time together was just spent in silence with occasionally meeting with the spiritual director, which obviously mm-hmm. we talked to share things there, but mm-hmm. um, it was intentionally being in silence, but also being in community with one another, which is different than just being in silence alone, like the desert mothers and fathers. Yeah. To me, so, this sounds like, Oh, go ahead. I have a clarifying question for these uh, because when I picture silent retreats, I mean, mm-hmm. other than meals and worship, I'm imagining myself sitting on a bench in a garden by myself or possibly in a room by myself. Like yeah. that that's how I envision it. So when you are on these silent retreats, are you during the not like meal time or worship time? Mm-hmm. Are you with other people or is it kind of a mixture of like sometimes you're in a room with a bunch of other people and you're all kind of silently sitting and praying or is it, oh, I'm going to go wander away and like have a walk in this garden, maybe find a bench. Oh, look, here's a pretty lake. I'm going to go walk around it. Like, what is that part like? Mine was a bit of a mixture. Um, A lot of it was just, um, and the place that we were at is called Olmstead Manor. It's up in around Kane, Pennsylvania. And it's the retreat center for the United Methodist Church in Western PA. And so there's lots of waterfalls. There's a prayer labyrinth, um, just a lot of beautiful grounds and trails to walk in. Um, and so sometimes I would, I would just go and I would walk the grounds. I, I know Olmstead well, I've been up there many, many times. Um, and then sometimes I would sit down and I would read. Um, my spirit director had several books that I ended up borrowing from her and reading during that time. And sometimes I would sit down on a couch or on a bench somewhere and I would start reading and somebody else would come down and they would sit and they would journal or they would read next to me. So we were together, but not, you know, obviously not in communication. We're just near one another. So okay. it just kind of all depended on what people wanted to do. I mean, if you wanted to spend the entire time in your room sleeping, that was okay too. And some people did, you know, one of my friends, you know, missed our evening worship because he just needed the rest. He needed the sleep. And, you know, silent retreat's a great place to get that done because there's no noise. There's nobody else, you know, causing noise and distractions going on around you. So you can sleep in the middle of the day for hours on end. That does sound like heaven. (laughs) It, it, It was, it was very, very nice and especially needed um for the time that i was going through i was my churches were in the middle of switching denominations and and there was just a lot of stuff going on in my life so it was nice to be able to get away and get away from all the distractions and everything that's been going on so it sounds to me like uh 
the value there is, especially in your life, where it's not like you've permanently made the commitment that all the time you're living in a silent a community, mm-hmm. but like this is like that it's those periods of clearing away the background noise and at least saying I can hit the pause button on some of the other concerns in my life. They don't go away, but I will attend to them when I come back to them. But I need that. So that the same way that a retreat of any sort can be valuable for people, silence as a practice within that can be helpful too. Not as like talking is bad or sinful, or I'm impressing God mm-hmm. by look how long I can get, you know, go without talking, but more like I need the removal of the noise, the removal of the distraction and that, that quiet and that, that peace that comes from that. And I'll be honest. I, I mean, I have my phone with me and I listen to music throughout the retreat on and off, not all the time, but you know, occasionally I put my music on too with my headphones, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not like you have to be in com- absolute complete silence. Right. Um, and I used to do that every, every, before every semester in seminary, mm-hmm. I would go to the sister convent for the Abbey and I would go and I would spend an overnight there. And sometimes over meals, I would talk with the sisters because they were not a silent order like the brothers were. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was just a chance to, to rest. Like you said, Steve, to kind of hit pause between yeah finishing up one semester or whatever was going on beforehand and beginning a new one. Um, just as a, for me personally, it was a reset mm-hmm. and put mm-hmm. me in a good place to start something afresh and anew. I've heard it said before that there's a difference between loneliness and solitude and that maybe in a similar way, we need a way to talk Mm -hmm. about the difference between like, there are some silences that are terrifying. And then there are some silences that somehow still feel full, that it's not, it's not a bad kind of, I'm afraid silence or scared or I'm alone, but in the same Mm -hmm. way, solitude can be something that you seek and uh, it can be a good thing uh, that there can be that kind of valuable silence as well, or crafted silence, maybe even too. Or like you say, if it's, I'm going to be listening to music, it's not just to fill the background for the sake of having nothing, you know, I, I need something, but like, this is, int- I want this music, this is going to help me put in the right frame of mind. Um, and that there's mm-hmm. intentionality there. Yeah. I wasn't blessing queen. Like, I, you know, it was my, more, <laughs> it was my contemplative music, you right. know, like Gregorian right. chants and stuff like that. Um, right. Foster, Richard Foster, who's um, a famous Quaker, talks about solitude in his book, Celebration of Discipline. Mm-hmm. And how solitude can be found even in the midst of large crowds, you know, yeah. and it, it is very different than loneliness because both can happen yep. either by yourself or in a large crowd. Yeah. And it's the intention, you know, loneliness is usually unwantedness. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's not wanted, but solitude is something that is intentional. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to get away and actually be in physical solitude. Yeah. And sometimes you can find spiritual solitude in the midst of everything going on around you. Yeah. I've I've heard it said about our culture and conversation in general that collectively we're not great at listening because we are so quick to when somebody else is talking, thinking about what I'm going to say next. Mm -hmm. And that that seems especially important. a warning for our spiritual lives as well that if it's always i got to be rushing to the next thing i need to say whether it's something i need to tell somebody else about god because i've got all the answers or that i need to tell god like and that there's value in learning to listen to the other person or to your surroundings or to whomever 
And that runs the risk. There, there might be times when there is silence because the other person is finished speaking and I haven't already pre-formulated what I'm going to say next. I was actually paying attention. But mm -hmm. that it requires a slowing down as well. And again, our culture is not great at slowing down. We want to fill every second with something. And especially in public worship, I find that to be really true. Like we're always, and as somebody who, you know, has two churches on a Sunday morning, I'm even more conscious of, of time and like making sure that, you know, I'm ending on time at the first church so I can get down to the second church. And, and like, there's not a whole lot of time for intentional silence, you know, except for like, you know, when my lay leader is leaving the pulpit and I'm walking up to it, obviously there's some silence there, but, yeah. you know, I think that's something we need to build more into worship, especially in today's contemporary age. Mm -hmm. Where you know you you have in a more contemporary service you, know, you you do three or four songs and then you go into prayer or sermon and then like three or four more songs and you know it, it's like at times it can be like going to a concert where every you know everything's planned out to the minute mm -hmm. and you don't just pause mm -hmm. to see what the spirit is saying in the midst of it all. Yeah, yeah. There are I mean, times. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, I, I mostly I wonder how much of that is a cultural like modern day problem yeah. that we have in worship mm -hmm. or how much of that is just us as humans like mm -hmm. if we were to somehow find a time machine travel back in time to an earlier period a different like country like germany or england or whatever 600 years ago and we were to go into a worship service would we find moments of silence or would it be very similar to what we experience now where it's a pretty well-oiled machine because those priests would have, you know, they, that's their job is they right. lead worship services. Mm -hmm. And so of course they're like, it's a well-oiled -oiled machine. Right. So yeah, I'm mostly just, I'm wondering how much of that is us as a mm -hmm. modern American pastor's, or how much of that has just always been? I think that's a fair question, but I wonder if, because I'm I'm going to guess that other traditions, like Quakers maybe, um, yeah. have been more comfortable with, you know what, there isn't there doesn't have to be a structure, and our plan is we're going to sit in silence until somebody's convinced the Holy Spirit has moved them to speak, and we're going to be okay just sitting for a while. Um, and that's an intentional, crafted practice. Um, my guess is that, after a few centuries from Pentecost Sunday, Christians started developing, here's a, what we do when we gather. Something like, you know, if you're going to be fancy about it in Latin, it's the ordo, you know. And once we've got a, well, we pray for this and we have the Lord's Supper and we have the readings from the scriptures, that there has been pretty early on, at least in Christian worship, some sense of there's an agenda we got to get through. Mm -hmm. And Again, I'm not I'm not anti-agenda. I'm not anti there's I think there are reasons why the word and the sacraments and why there are the prayers are part of our regular patterns of worship in whatever ways they are locally different. But it's almost like we we brought this on ourselves, even if it weren't human nature, we especially now have added this within the tradition of Christianity, or at least those Christian traditions that say, here's what it should look like to be in worship. And whether that's the modern contemporary worship take, like you mentioned, Erica, that, yeah, can sure feel like a concert or um, the order of a, a 
Roman Catholic mass and those liturgical traditions that have just basically cribbed from that ordo as well. Mm -hmm. My own tradition is a Lutheran included. We've, we've done ourselves that disservice of we've got these things to be accomplished. And then we print them in the bulletin telling everybody, this is the order. Here's, what we're going to do them in um, that. It can make it feel very much like this is, you know, a, a thing to be checked off. You know, I think about when I have communion in my tradition, which we do about monthly, and, you know, we have the confession time, and then there's an opportunity for silence for people to make a silent, because we have, like, a communal confession, and then, yeah. you know, people can make silent confession. And I try to let that linger yeah. for a minute. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes that feels really just kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah, and again, yeah. you know, pastoring two churches, if if I'm already running late, like I tend to cut that time right. a little bit shorter than what right. I would personally like to actually give people. Now, what they do with that time, I don't know. Some of them are probably right. watching the looking at their watch, like, okay, come on, let's go, preacher. <laughs> um, like, yeah. but at least that's one way I can build in silence once a month. But yeah, it's it's hard. And it's hard, I think, because everybody's at a different place. Like we have our own little individual barometers of comfort level with silence. And so mm -hmm. there are some for whom that's how they're wired and it is really helpful. And they would love those silent moments to go on longer. They're just grateful for a moment in their day for not to be constantly pestered by somebody or not to be constantly <laughs> dealing with noise. And there are other people for whom any silence is immediately awkward because they are used to nonstop chatter. And if you try and draw out the silence from them, they're going to say, that was dead air or that was wasted or why to go on so long. And I guess internally, maybe each of us has to have our own barometer as people who are then leading public worship and conducting those silences like a orchestra conductor to decide I'm going to be okay with, for some, this is going to be pushing and stretching them a little bit for others. They wish it could go on longer and how you allow the possibility. Everybody's going to be stretched a little bit beyond their comfort zone somehow. Maybe there's a difference too. Sometimes if you are sitting in a worship space, you can tell the difference between the silence where someone has forgotten they're supposed to talk and everybody else is looking <laughs> at them going, hey, you're on, uh, versus the silence that feels intentional and purposeful. Like if you've ever been in some kind of a public gathering where there was a moment of silence, whether it, you know, it was for someone who had died mm -hmm. or on a memorial occasion or a, a Veterans Day or a, you know whatever, um, that there are times when we do a moment of silence and it feels like, no, this is what we needed. And we've all intentionally chosen that. Sometimes it's the intentionality that makes a difference. There's a line that comes to my memory of um, Walter Wangren uh, in an essay or a piece of his. And I can't remember all the whole topic, but at one point the sentence goes, we chirp theories like chickadees because silence is scary and we need the noise. And I just love that idea that like there's some part of us that is afraid of both the unknown or the God who is beyond our ability to pin down that sometimes it's just we need to feel like we need to say things about God. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes it's we don't need to say more things about God or maybe even to God, because like Mother Teresa's point, sometimes we could admit God already knows everything we were going to say anyway. Are there any other ways that either of you have uh, developed either in your individual life or as corporate worship leaders to cultivate those kind of intentional, purposeful, contemplative silences um, and found it worked well or any things that you would warn us that didn't work well from your own experience? So I don't do well sitting 
and not doing anything and being silent. Like I don't do well doing that. I get too twitchy. Um, but I have done praying in color and like drawing and like using like a scripture verse as like a focus mm-hmm. as a con- as a way of sitting in silence with God. Um, I find these practices especially helpful when I don't have any words. So mm-hmm. I know the series is more about how we don't often hear God verbally and that God doesn't speak to us in the same way that like you and I are speaking. Um, but I found those practices especially helpful when I don't have anything to say because mm-hmm. I've, I'm feeling too much or I'm too grief stricken or whatever it may be that has robbed me of my words. Um, so, so that's often when I tend to sit in silence, but again, I can't do it without doing something with my hands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remind me of there of a, a, a line I heard years ago that there's a difference between uh, Western Christian contemplative meditation and maybe Eastern meditation like uh, in Zen Buddhism. And the, the point I heard made was that in uh, Zen Buddhism, the idea, the goal is to empty your mind and that in Western Christian uh, tradition of contemplative mysticism, the idea is to fill your mind or let your mind focus on something. So it might be whatever story or verse or prompt you have while you're drawing or coloring or whatever. And that's not like a failure to meditate because because you were thinking of something that'd be no that was the goal is let your mind and sometimes it's you come up with a prompt and here's what i'm going to focus on today and sometimes it's i'm making room so that something that god will you know present to my mind will bring will come to my attention or something but i think that's an important piece that if, if you find yourself wanting to have that time and space away and you find that like you're really focusing on thinking through something that's not you're doing it wrong but more that might be exactly what the goal was i needed this time and space apart to process through or think through whether it's something going on in my life or some um you know dimension of the faith that i'm wrestling with or or how do i make sense of whatever the terrible news is in the headlines that sometimes that that ability to focus is exactly what the goal is and i think it's important and this is something i've I've been taught um through my seminary and, and other places you know when you when you're trying to just sit and be in that silence and maybe you're doing like what Sarah said, praying in color, journaling or something. And like those other voices want to come in, just write them out. Like Mm -hmm. get, so that you can get them out of your head. So it's not like, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, I keep getting drawn back. You know, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to spend time with God. I'm trying to sit and listen. And I'm thinking about what, what I have to cook for dinner tonight or wait, is the laundry done yet? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, write it down just, you know, and let it, you know, let them come. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the more you try to suppress them, the more they're just going to keep t- coming up. Right. So just deal with them, write them down, and then get back to what you're doing. And give yourself grace mm-hmm. in the midst of it. Because like we said, silence for some is very comfortable. I, I'm somebody who enjoys silence. For others, makes them a little twitchy. Yeah. And that that way of framing it, that, that grace is a piece of this, I think... It puts this conversation much in the same context as when we talked about spiritual practices in Lent, uh, that like this is never about impressing God. And so let's not let's start from the outset. This is not that God is wowed by, wow, they could go for 10 hours without talking. Good for them. More gold stars. Mm-hmm. But God is not interested one way or the other. Um, but God is invested that we 
find our relationship with God strengthened and tended to, and that that intentionality may be valuable for the relationship. And again, I, I, I would even say the Lutheran in me would say, God reserves the right, even if I'm not making any time for God still to get through to me because God values his relationship enough to get, get my attention. Um, but that it's not, this is never about how are we impressing God or racking up points with God, yeah. but maybe just removing the distractions. Um, I am thinking about um, a practice of, um, well, since you got mentioned last time, a poet uh, who I'm a fan of, Wendell Berry's, um, who for years had the practice uh, and has generated a number of his poems that he called the Sabbath poems. On Sunday mornings, he'd get up early and walk out into the woods on the literal Kentucky farm that he bought years and years ago. I think that's on family property or whatever. And without the agenda of... Um, I must accomplish something other than like this would be a space for time and listening and paying attention to creation around him um, and letting that take his mind and spirit wherever it was going to. So uh, sometimes he will write poems and very clearly it's on on this particular day. He must have seen this particular bird and this led him to think in this particular way. Sometimes it's just that time and space apart allowed for reflection that formed itself later into a poem mm -hmm. and um that for him it's not about um selling poetry books but like about the value and quality of life you get by taking that time apart and i think for him the practice of writing poetry out of it sort of required a savoring you know that it wasn't it wasn't just like i'm going to set a timer on my walk on my phone i'm going to walk for 20 minutes and then that's it i got to get back to the chore list but more like i'm going to make myself value or savor or appreciate this time and the world in which I'm walking. And for me, I think something like that is so valuable. And for me, another example of the, a way to do contemplative silence without having to necessarily make it all about, I'm in a monastery, but sometimes the monastery is the trees. It's my monastery. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like at least we've given a couple of footholds for folks who might be wanting to add intentional silence into their own spiritual life, whether in corporate worship or on their own somewhere. Um, anything else we need to make sure we call attention to in this time of intentional silence? I have to say, start small. Like yeah. if it's something you're uncomfortable with, start small and work up and to it. Maybe folks have been in that practice before where sometimes uh, in a small group, someone will say, all right, we're going to have literal 60 seconds of nothing and see if this is uncomfortable for you or how it feels to you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you are not staring at your watch and it can feel like it stretches for hours or some people like this went really fast, but like that, it could be as little as see how you do with a literal minute of doing nothing uh, and discovering that the universe doesn't fall apart just because you weren't doing something busy um, and to see how that might get stretched or expanded in other ways too. So with those invitations, we're going to invite you to join us for more conversation about other dimensions of the unspoken God next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.